Welcome to the Impact Investing Podcast from Circa 5000. I'm Matt Latham. And I'm Tommy Gillicuddy. Remember, nothing in this podcast is financial advice, and when investing, your capital is at risk. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. We're back with another episode of the Impact Investing Podcast, and this week we're talking about divestment. So we're trying to answer the question of whether you should divest from areas that you don't like as an investor, or whether it's better to try and change company behavior as an engaged shareholder. So, Tom, I'm going to come over to you first and say, what is divestment? Great question, Matthew. Um, so, divestment is the is the act by investors, asset owners, um, of selling their shares um, in companies predominantly aimed at uh, companies that are bad for climate change, big carbon emitters like yeah, coal um, coal producers, for example. Uh, selling those shares in an attempt. Uh, to uh, pressurize those companies to change their behavior, change how they operate, and then taking that money and realigning it by investing in companies that are in some way better for the climate. Um, And the idea is that you force those companies that you've divested from to act in some way and try and improve their behavior and change their behavior. Yeah, and the the idea is that if the more people that divest, the more that those companies' share prices would would fall is yep. the theory. Um, the harder those companies find it to raise new capital, uh, invest in their existing business model, yeah. and that will encourage them to change in order to attract new shareholder uh, money in. Yeah. Um, the the alternative to that is to remain invested in companies in those areas and try and engage with the management company and use yeah. your influence and power as a shareholder to try and change the behavior of the management, change the strategy of the company, and tra- change ultimately what impact the company has on the planet and change yeah. its business model and practices. <laughs> yeah, so I think you know, it's been a, it's a bit of an age-old debate, really, um, yeah. within, within investment management, asset management, of which route you should go down. But I think that I used to be very, you know, fundamentalist with divestment and my view on divestment but now I think it's it's more nuanced and it depends who you are um and what kind of thing you're you're invested in um and because if you just divest from a from a company and all that happens is the share price goes down a little bit well then you maybe made that share price more attractive to somebody else as a potential buyer as an investor in that company and if only a few people do it and there's no real pressure on those companies to change their behavior and then in the act of selling a share someone is presumably then buying it on the other side. Yeah. And so all you're really doing is just washing your hands of the of the of the dirty investment, um, in inverted commas, and someone else is left holding it. And that other person, that other entity, that other investor may not be bothered about mm-hmm. what the company's doing currently and may just let them continue to act as they are. And so on a net basis, what have you managed to change? That's the kind of more nuanced argument that people who are propo- more proponents of engagement would put towards divestment yeah. people. And despite that, though, divestment is on the rise and there's lots of organisations that are sort of campaigning for divestment, putting pressure on big asset managers, putting pressure on pension schemes, faith groups, uh, you know, all sorts of different charities, all these type of universities and putting pressure on them to divest away. And it's normally, uh, you know, either campaign groups or people associated with those organizations. So sort of like Harvard University, Oxford University, Cambridge University, they've all been uh, lobbied by their own students um, to 
take away their endowment funds from these areas. So the result is that in 2021, there was about $15 trillion worth of assets that had been divested. Mm. And in 2022, March of this year, um, that figure had risen to $40 trillion. So it's definitely on the rise. Yep. And it's being led by, as I say, sort of campaigners, campaigning organisations that they're often connected with in some way um, to try and make the committees, the investment committees of those organisations and ultimately the investment managers of those uh, funds move away from fossil fuel uh, areas. So, you know, you've got people like Harvard, Oxford University, the Church of England, the Ford Foundation and and the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund are all pulling money out of uh, fossil fuel areas. It's interesting, the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund, which is one of the world's biggest sovereign wealth funds of a trillion uh, US dollars, and got all of its money from from the thing that it's now divesting <laughs> from. But I think those big players like the Norwegian uh, Sovereign Wealth Fund and some of those big endowments that you mentioned, and some of the biggest asset managers in the world, i.e. people like BlackRock and, and Vanguard, these these people, when they do these things, it does have an impact. Yeah. Because it, it does get media attention, um, and it does cause companies to, to perhaps look at trying to change the behaviour. But a lot of what that comes down to from a divestment perspective, you know, from my perspective is what is the core business of the company? If you've got a company that that you're investing in, all they do is coal and all they're ever going to do is coal, how much can your engagement in that business really change what that company does yeah. unless they plan on completely switching their entire DNA and their entire business, which has never happened before. Yeah, and over what time period? And over what time is period? Is a practical so, thing to do, yeah. So, there's, so in those cases and those kinds of you know asset owners that we've that you've just run through, they've taken the decision that in certain sectors and certain companies it makes sense to to divest. And I think that if the core of that business is in something that's very unlikely to change in any meaningful time horizon, there's there's still a strong argument there that divestment can have an impact, and it can have even more of an impact if you're a household name and a big asset owner, asset manager, yeah. and you've taken a public stance. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're an individual, uh, you can obviously maybe you have an existing pension pot that you could you could look to divest and that could be your personal contribution but you know if you you know if you pull out a pension pot of 10,000 pounds that happens to be 1% invested in an oil company yeah you know it's not really going to have a material effect on the share price and I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure the ceo of that company is going to lose any sleep either so <laughs> yeah um you know i think i think it's it's uh it definitely does depend on who you are in terms of what scale of impact you can have, both on engagement yeah. and on divestment. You know, yeah. again, if you're a single shareholder with one share of a company, then you're not going to really put a lot of pressure on the management of that company with your one vote. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you're a big asset manager that owns a material stake and you can materially affect the share price either by divesting or threatening to, yeah. then um, you know that can have a have a have a big impact. So I think you know there's arguments against divestment divestment as well you know bill gates is is quoted as saying divestment today has probably probably had re- has reduced about zero tons of emissions yeah. um and he's talking about uh you know it would be better to invest in the technologies of the future to invest in the technologies to slow emissions rather than concentrate on trying to get the existing mm. investment uh, industry to divest but for me it's a sort of it doesn't really make sense as an argument for me because yep. Surely both is better. Yes. And surely to invest in the technology of the future, you have to make a decision over investing in A or B. And if you're yeah. going to allocate the capital in A, not B, then why yeah. why allocate any to B? Yeah. And I think if the, the you know if some of the worst coal polluters and the carbon uh, polluters were getting the share price 
battered by the fact that they weren't changing the stance, then over time it would be a logical business decision to start investing in some new areas mm-hmm. that, that are less polluting. Um, that comes to another an argument pro-divestment, which is investing in stranded assets, mm-hmm. not investing in stranded assets, and not investing in companies whose basically business model is based on them being able to take that coal out of the ground. Yeah. It's going to likely be regulated at some point that you yeah. cannot do that. And so there's a that ties in with the long-term nature of the investments that we're making from an impact perspective yeah. is why invest in these sectors that are very likely not going to be able to um, produce the revenue and produce the growth they have in the past purely because they're a dying industry, either from a regulatory perspective or yeah. you know, from, a, from, a, from a different climate perspective. So that's a, a more of an economic argument yeah. for divestment and not continuing to invest in these industries of yesterday. Yeah, and that, and that, that argument is 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 based on on sort of this this idea that if more and more people divest away from, uh, you know, say fossil fuel industries, then it gives almost more license to governments to come in and regulate in those areas. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a big argument for not tightening up regulation and, and trying to materially damage the share price of these companies is that a big pension funds own a lot of them. So it's this yeah. sort of, you get into this circular situation where you're saying, well, don't, you know, don't divest, but or, or you know, you could divest, because it allows people to come into regulation and then people, you know, governments would then regulate, but then that would damage people who were still invested. And then you sort of get into this this spiral. But I think, um, you know, the point there is, is that that you get into this race to divest really, because Mm -hmm. you want to, if you're going to divest, you want to be, you want to be pulling out your assets before, (laughs) before everyone else (laughs) has. Before free falls (laughs) happened. Yeah. Yes. You, you want to be uh, you want to be early in it if you're going to do it. But yeah. that's, that's the big argument there is that if you do divest and more pension schemes and more more sort of asset managers looking after you know everyday people's pension schemes did divest, then it would allow uh, governments to come in and tighten re- regulation on things like carbon emissions and really force these businesses from a regulatory perspective to change their model in that way. Yeah. So counter to the engagement argument, which which is stay and encourage the business model to change. Actually, you could say that divestment opens up the opportunity for almost a forced business yes. model change in some yeah, of these yeah. areas, which is actually, yeah. you know, arguably a more compelling argument. So really. I, I still think there's a, it's, it's nuanced. I don't think it's a yes, no to divestment. Um, I think that it can still definitely have a, have a, have a place. And again, if you're one of the big players in the world, you have a, you have a, a, a potential for an outsized impact on, on what you can achieve with it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think one of the other arguments that comes in and maybe it's, maybe it's, uh, you know, perhaps it's unsurprising that it comes from you know active asset managers is that the engagement piece is really important important for change but also there's a there's a performance argument i mean which which if you think about mm. the investment managers of pension schemes and other sort of uh you know <clears throat> trusts and university endowment funds and all the rest of it they have a sort of uh, fiduciary duty to make returns for those pots yeah. of money that is their primary duty um and therefore they are very susceptible to the arguments around, well, if you withdraw from certain sectors, mm. you are leaving this portfolio less diversified yeah. and therefore you are missing out on returns of certain sex- sectors. So, for example, you know, tobacco, you know, historically has the very good dividend-paying companies, they're yeah. very sort of stable uh, cash-generative companies. Oil is can be a sort of... Uh, you know, account can be a sort of good diversifier because it can perform well in different times. And, um, you know, those businesses, you know, like look at now, oil prices, record highs, those companies are making record profits. So it's very hard, actually. It's not just a case of 
what do you like and not like. Mm. Actually, the people making these decisions for these big organizations have have conflicting views. They could have millions of members or millions yeah. of millions of students or uh, you know other campaigners campaigning to force them to divest. But then they have to consider what their what their obligations are and how they consider what's best for the portfolio. And I mean, I would say that because these organizations have ultra long-term time horizons, then they can afford to divest out of these areas. But it, what I would say is there's a certain sympathy to the pressures that they would under, they would yeah. face from being asked these questions. Yeah, a lot, still, the vast, the vast, vast majority of the big asset owners, so on, on the asset owner side, we're talking mainly pension funds and sovereign wealth funds. Yeah. They kind of defer to the asset manager who they're yeah. giving the money yeah. to to kind of decide what to do. And as long as that asset manager is demonstrating in 9.9 instances out of 10, that they are engaging with companies uh, who are doing, you know, negative things for the environment or whatever, then it's kind of like a box ticked. If they've not gone down the divestment route, which is, you know, 1% of of asset owners have gone down the divestment route. But the problem I have with, with with the engagement side of it, the pro is if you're a very big asset owner or asset manager you have uh you stand a much better chance of interacting with a with a company you invest in and because you're a big player in the world and you're a big shareholder of that company getting them to consider things that they hadn't before but that's probably only a handful maybe 10 asset managers yeah. and only a similar amount of asset owners in the world the rest of the asset owners and who defer to the asset managers who then say they have an engagement policy really how that's used in practice is it's just an excuse to continue doing what they've been doing yeah. before and saying, yes, we speak to the companies about this. We brought it up to them and they've said that they will consider it at some point, you know, in the future. Oh, that's great, isn't it? Box ticked and we continue doing what we were always doing before. And that's the big criticism of engagement is it's ve- it's a very easy box to tick for a lot of these people. And you can say they've got a great engagement policy and they speak to all these companies about X, Y, and Z. But unless they're holding those companies they invest in to it and they have a plan to then divest if the company doesn't do X, Y, and Z then there's absolutely no change that's happened. And that's the vast majority of what happens in the industry. Yeah, and I think, I think you know, an engagement policy has to be coupled with, a, with, a, with an action policy, yeah. really. Yeah. You know, you'd, you'd have, you can say you can talk to companies about whatever, but I think you then have to say you're either going to use your vote uh, to make change, either you're going yeah. to vote against the management or you're going to do something in that way. And again, you have to be a material, you have to be a material shareholder for that to yeah. carry any weight, or you have to threat, you have to have the threat of divestment, and again, you know, the more material a shareholder you are, there, the better that the better threat comes with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, again, it, it, some of this is different depending on what stuff you're invested in. If you're invested in, you know, companies that are listed on the stock market, I uh, big, huge companies that are listed around the world, it's very, very hard for any individual equity shareholder, even the biggest players in the world, to have a massive influence on those companies. But you're invested in a company that's private, and you own a bigger stake in it. There's more, there's more room for you to influence that company. So there's perhaps more engagement that can be had in the earlier stages of a company's life cycle that isn't this mega global conglomerate. And also the other side of things is on the on investing in a company's debt as opposed to being a shareholder in, in, yeah. in equity. If you invest in, uh, in, in a company's debt, that company will need debt in the future. And you can put restrictions on that debt, yeah. i.e. the money can be only spent on these type of things, sustainability improvements, investments in certain climate areas. They're like green bonds. Green bonds, yeah. 
Um, and or you can put different criteria, which means that unless you hit these types of sustainability characteristics or criteria, we you, you know we won't invest in the, the next debt issuance. So you can yeah. really you can really hold people to account on specific instruments via debt, and it, and in and in, in the private smaller company stage, it's a little bit easier to engage. And that's why I always kind of roll my eyes a little bit about you know these big players saying they're engaging with big companies in in, uh, uh, in the world that are listed on the stock markets that, you know, do something that's inherently bad for the climate and getting yeah. them to change. I just don't think it's that realistic. Yeah. I mean, it's getting a bit technical, but I think what you also find is that the same company can have different policies yeah. depending on whether it's a secondary shares, i.e. they're investing shares in a fund or whether it's sort of primary debt, as in they're, yeah. they're issuing new fresh debt to a company. And the same same company can have different yeah. different. uh you know, sort of exclusions and inclusions on each of those sides. Yeah. The, the other thing that I think we just want to touch on uh, briefly is is the argument about passive investing yes. and active investing, and we've we've covered this generally on a on a different yeah. episode. But I think the I think it's important from a divestment and engagement point of view because the big argument for actively investing, i.e., letting a fund manager mm. invest money for you in terms of act, they actively pick the funds that they they invest in and, and actively engage with the companies is that they can they can be more nuanced and they can be mm. a bit more um selective on how they engage in a company whereas the the criticism thrown at passive investing and just a reminder passive is where a fund tracks an index yeah, yeah. tracks a set of rules rather than an individual picks the investments is that you get what you're given and yeah. you sort of you're automatically in all the companies in that index, and uh, and you sort of you don't really have the right to engage with them on an individual basis. I think it's important that we just highlight that that's not strictly the case. Yeah, I think there's just, just in, there's that conflation of terms, isn't there? Which is passive, which is really just an implementation method. I.e., you're not trying to beat the market. Yeah. Versus active, where you are trying to beat the market. And people people conflate those terms, and they think passive just means oh you're sitting back and you, yeah. you know, it's just running without you doing anything. But that's the decision of the investment manager, the, the you know the entity that's creating the ETFs, yeah. ETFs being the main passive instrument, exchange traded funds. But that's all to do with the investment manager. So you can still 100% engage in those underlying companies. It's just that most. Uh, passive investment managers don't because they're tracking a pre-existing index yeah. and it's a hands-off approach. But there's nothing stopping anybody investing uh, or creating an ETF from having a proper voting policy and from ha- and from having proper engagement with the underlying companies, yeah. just like an active manager does. Yeah. And so the, 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 that distinction has been used really by the active management industry yeah. to kind of quash any of the growth within uh, passive investing from an in- uh, and kind of ruin it from an engagement perspective. But it's not true. Um, and that's exactly how we're building our own you know, ETFs, which is a passive vehicle. Um, but we're building the underlying index from scratch and engaging with every single uh, company underneath with our, with our own voting policy, um, like an active manager would. It's just that we're choosing to implement the, the, the individual investments in the background in a passive way. Yeah, and there's plenty of active managers that can engage, and but don't, don't choose yeah. to engage in so any meaningful ma- way. The vast majority do that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it, it, this sell of, you know, we can engage is is sort of like a we okay, can, we can, but we don't. <laughs> yeah, and it is true that you know there's a lot of ETFs out there where you know you get something like a traditional, say, an S and P 500 tracker, where you are just buying the 500 companies in the yeah. in that index, and often there is sort of a very very basic voting policy from that from that fund, but it doesn't have to be the case. And I think that it's important that people understand that active and passive don't necessarily mean active engagement and passive yeah, engagement. Exactly. I think it's a very uh, big distinction to make. Yeah. So, look, probably a good place to wrap up. Yeah. Um, we just wanted to do a quick episode on 
divestment and engagement and the pros and cons of those two things. And we'll be back again next week with another episode. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Impact investing from circa 5,000. Thank you for listening to Impact Investing, a podcast brought to you by Circa 5000. Remember, when investing, your capital is at risk, and this podcast is not financial advice. If you like what you hear, then please remember to like, subscribe, and share the podcast.